Okay, so how are we starting this one? I don't know. I guess we're starting. We starting. Hi. Hi. I'm Tara. I'm Adam. This is Basic Snitches. Yeah. We still don't know what we're doing to start these things. Literally before each episode, that's what happens. We don't even... Yeah, we're just a mess. I mean... we're cute. We are getting our shit together more and more, like, behind the scenes. But we don't have, like... Our intro. At least we want you to believe we're getting our shit (laughs) together. We have the content. We're getting there. This set. It's like our bread really sucks, but the inside of the sandwich is real good. And really, (laughs) the bread is not even the part that you want. Well, unless it's good bread, but we don't have good bread. So we're working on obtaining good bread. We are not like a brioche or anything. We are not brioche. mm, we're like a home fried nut. white bread. Yeah. <laughs> We're Wonder Bread. Wonder Bread. <laughs> the okay. Wonder Bread of podcasts. That's us. That's our tagline for this episode. <laughs> what are you drinking, Adam? Uh, well, I was drinking a Mojave Rattler Venom energy drink because before this, <laughs> I rushed through Giant Eagle. That's a grocery store if you don't have Giant Eagles around you. And <laughs> I realized, wait, Giant Eagle isn't a thing everywhere. <laughs> and the one line, of course, they do the self-checkout so that I don't have to talk to people. And this is the only energy drink they had there. And I was like, okay, I guess this will do. I just don't like energy drinks. I needed something today. Listeners, at the time that we are recording this, Mercury has been in retrograde for it's a good some bullshit. three weeks. <laughs> and I'm over people. Oh, More than I usually am. <laughs> so, I need this energy drink. Last night... Well, it's a cool can. It looks really cool. It's... Yeah, it's kind of... I don't know. Slytherin-y? It is kind of Slytherin-y. There's a big snake eye. Yeah, it's pretty right cool. Right there. And I woke up hungover today. Last night, I watched the Ted Bundy tapes and drank two bottles of wine. And then had nightmares. Imagine that. So... Huh. What about you? What are you drinking? And how are you feeling today? <laughs> I made myself a hot toddy. I am closing a show tonight, and I have to be really good because Adam is coming. I just need to be really good for him. It's very important That's to me. That's right. Only for me. So... Fuck the rest of those people <laughs> in that audience. So I'm just uh, yeah, enjoying a, a hot toddy, some whiskey and all that. Good times. All right, guys. So before we get into chapter 13... Just um, in case you forgot, chapter 12 was Double Christmas, Um, so aka the best (laughs) chapter in the book for Adam, and good times. And I'm just here to assign the winner and loser of chapter 12. So the loser of that chapter is Ron. Um, He's just very tactless about the mirror, and while I respect his excitement and energy about the idea of it at first, and, and it's very reactionary... Use your brain. Harry was like, oh, yeah, I see my dead family in this. And Ron's like, do you think this shows the future? Rude. Use your brain. But the winner of the chapter is Molly Weasley. Oh, yes. Because she's the best and she's such a good mom. I have had a Molly Weasley in my life and my best friend's mom. She absolutely was just the embodiment. Like, Molly Weasley is such a great reminder of Jetta. So... I love it, um, and I just love, she doesn't even really know Harry. She saw him with Ron, and uh, I know I said this a lot in the last episode, but I just, she absolutely deserves the win, and she gets like four seconds of uh, page time in this book, and she still gets a win 
in a chapter that we don't physically see her because that's how fucking great she is. Yes. I fully support your winner and loser. <laughs> I do what that, I can. That really was the best chapter. Oh my God. <laughs> so I emailed Adam a little chapter summary on chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel. Yeah. Let me find Do you want to read that? Okay. Here we go. Chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel. Harry ends his Christmas break with nightmares and a Hermione lecture only to jump back into Quidditch practice full time. Oliver Wood announces to the Gryffindor team that their next match against Hufflepuff will be refereed by Snape, which sounds pretty terrible to everyone. Harry tells his posse, <laughs> posse about Snape and they try to figure out how to get Harry out of the match. Neville comes in after being bullied by Malfoy, and the trio cheer him up. And Harry remembers where he's heard of Nicholas Flamel, so now we've got that mystery solved. Hermione sasses the boys about reading, and we learn that Nicholas Flamel is a super old dude who created the Sorcerer's slash Philosopher's Stone. Ron makes old people jokes. The day of the match against Hufflepuff, Hermione and Ron prepare to fight Snape if he does anything suspicious towards Harry. Meanwhile, Oliver Wood does the classic I don't mean to pressure you speech while pressuring Harry to catch the snitch early. Malfoy tries to bully Ron and Neville and really is a little bitch, but Harry catches the snitch super quickly so Gryffindor wins and fuck you Malfoy. When Harry goes to put his broom away, he sees Snape being suspicious so he spies on him and surprise, more suspicious Snape stuff. He's being super mean to Professor Quirrell with vague threats and immediately Harry goes to tell Hermione and Ron. Obviously the three of them have now figured out this whole mystery, so how can there still be four chapters in this book? And yet there are. Yes, I like how you closed that because that's how I feel about, oh my god, look, cat. Kitten! Oh my god. Oh, look, a blue jay. Oh, look, a cat. <laughs> Anytime we don't do this at my house, we see the wildlife, the of, wildlife. of northeastern Ohio. Of Medina County. That's a giant cat. That's a really fat cat. Do you know who that cat no. is? No. Baxter probably does. Baxter. No, he's probably in his outside. room. <laughs> in his room. <laughs> he's got, he like sits on the porch over here <laughs> because it's all screened off and you can see shit. Oh my gosh. I don't know that cat. It might be the cat that likes to sit over here and piss off my cat. I don't know. Oh, there he goes. Bye. Bye. Now back to our regularly scheduled podcast. (laughs) (laughs) What I was saying. These last couple chapters, as in like this one and the next one, as you guys know, we do these in pairs. They seem so sure of themselves, which I think is a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think sets up the whole series. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Like this is... Now, now, that's great, because that's going to bring something else up in chapter 14 of how I feel about some things, but... Love it. But, yeah, they are really assuming a lot of things, and it, it you're completely right. It sets the tone of how they handle handle stuff. Like, by now, we know Hermione's the, the, the brains, for the most part, behind a lot of this. Ron is... Comic relief. Comic relief, and kind of dumb. And then... Harry is still, for the most part, a little bit innocent to the sum of this stuff, but we continue to see growth. And that's yeah. how I see each of them. But now as a trio, we're realizing when they come together, here's how they can be. They can be a that's, little bit assumptuous. That's, again, why the heart of the story is their friendship. It can't be a perfect trio. Like, they can't be perfect, but they're effective. Mm. And I love that, and I love how they grow. There's beautiful moments in the seventh book where you see... 
they didn't assume things. They planned things out. They did these all the smart stuff, and they really were all the best versions of themselves. Yeah. And that begins in this book, you know. So, it's funny because so far we've talked a ton about how they grow, what each are good at, what each aren't good at. But like you said, I mean, these characters are very real. They do have flaws, and it mimics real life. Something that I had written down about. Like, Ron being good at something, because we haven't really talked about Ron being great at much lately. (laughs) But earlier in the chapter, it talks about how he is really good at wizard's chess. And he's playing Hermione, and it said it's like the only thing that Hermione was bad at, or the only thing that she loses at. And made me think, okay, this is his strength. And of course, later in later chapters, we learn, okay, each, each of them has their strengths, which helps them resolve the conflict. So there are some kids in school who are just book smart, Hermione. Mm-hmm. And then there are some who might not be great at reading or math or things like that, but they're good at logic or strategy. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think of computer games that were like edutainment games when I was a kid, and they didn't have a lot of things that you learn in the classroom, but it was more along the lines of strategy focused or logic focused Mm -hmm. and the fact that he's so good at wizard's chess like ron would beat me because i don't even know how to play chess and it confuses the fuck about Um, i don't remember though so yeah it made me think that like okay finally we get to see something that ron is good at i'm really looking forward to because we're doing this chapter by chapter spending this time with each character to see how they grow because when you read it as a whole or you watch the movie, you're quick to categorize them. And I think that we can pick them apart more honestly. Yeah. We can learn to be more forgiving of the things that frustrate us about the characters and learn to be more wise, I guess, about the things that these characters do that we've usually just kind of brushed off. You know, so I'm really looking forward to that. And Ron, I think, is the character that gets the least amount of analysis in that way. So we don't get much more in the book from that, but they're 11, you know? Yeah. Another character that we've talked about a ton, but it bears repeating because you don't see him in the movies nearly as much as the books. I mean, Neville. Neville. And there's a big chunk of bullying in here. I mean, bullying has been a theme throughout. But the way that he does stand up to Malfoy and how his housemates... Housemates? His... Yeah, yeah, housemates. I guess that's what they are. Um, when I think of housemates, I think of like roommates. But yeah, I guess it's true. His housemates like really build him up and help him become more brave towards Malfoy, which is lovely. It's my favorite thing that Harry does in this entire book is what he says to Neville. Yeah, the "You're worth twelve of Malfoy" is <sighs> so, and you know when he says. Malfoy's and stinking Slytherin. Sorry, Slytherin. That's just out of the book. Sorry. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like, he, he says, because he says that, and then Ron is not trying to be mean to, to Neville when he, when he says you have to stand up to him, and Neville's like, you don't need to tell me I'm not brave enough to be in Slytherin. And Ron's not trying to attack Neville. He's literally trying to give him that advice. And what he says about that really, like, sets Harry off. And he was like, but no, you are better than that. And the the hat put you in Gryffindor, and Malfoy's in Slytherin, which, you know, Harry has that personal feeling at the very beginning, where he's like, I don't want to be in Slytherin. Yeah. So they're already establishing this, I don't know, army of Gryffindors pitted against 
the bullying of the Slytherins. And while Neville doesn't get to be in the spotlight in this book, though he spends a lot more time on the page than he does in the movie, it's really nice. This is Harry being Lily Evans's son. We can talk more about the parallels later on when we learn more about Lily, but I love this so much. It's one of my favorite things that is in any of the books. Yeah. This is when Harry also gives him his last Charm of Frog, oh. which is also important. Which is also super important. Yes. But I one before we get into why it was oh. important, I just saw an article about green flags. So like... When you are um, interacting with people, there are red flags that pop up all the time. But this one was focusing on the positive of green flags that if your friend or your significant other or someone in your life is doing these things, it means that they a solid bitch. And one of the things was if they always offer you the last piece of cake or whatever before they take it themselves. That generous friendship and he does this here. Like, this is totally a green flag of, like, Harry's a solid bitch. So. He a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. So. I love that. It's green wonderful. Flags thing. Um, can we backtrack a little bit to the beginning of the chapter? Yes. Because, first of all, I'll say the sad things. How fucking sad is it that Harry has never seen his parents before? And he saw them in the Mirror of Erised. And then, like, he has nightmares. Like, his he used to have, like... The flashes of green light never understood them. And now he has these nightmares. Now he gets to imagine his parents being killed because now he knows what they look like. Yeah. That is so fucking sad. Yeah. Fuck you, Dursleys. Like, they, he never saw what his parents looked like. It's so interesting. You said this before. I know. But. I get, I get real hey, hyped. That's okay. Usually <laughs> I'm the one who says things that were said before. So this is nice. No. <laughs> so I wrote down the thing about the green light too. I think what I had previously said was how when you're that young and you're trying to remember things from when you were like an infant, there's a lot of things that get lost, but he remembers that green light. And that's pretty much it. Like he doesn't, like you said, remember what his, his parents look like. But I didn't make that connection in that before it was just the green light yeah. and the turban dream. Now this is affected by what he finally saw there. Yeah, like you said, Petunia doesn't even have pictures of her sister. Around. I just think that that's... Awful. It just, I think that because the story is very effectively told with all of the lightness of this being the first novel and, and trying to establish who these characters are, when things like this are put in there, they're very, very well mixed in with mm. everything else. So you're not depressed reading things, but it catches you when you're trying to, when you're reading six pages at a time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um. So I just, I wanted to bring that up. I also wanted to say... They're at Quidditch practice, and Oliver Wood is like, Snape is refereeing. No one else is laughing at the idea of Snape on a broomstick. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the idea of, of Snape on a broomstick, like, I don't know. I find it very amusing. They're like, oh, Snape is suddenly interested in refereeing Quidditch. Also, like, is Madame Hooch going out of town? Like, yeah. From her cushy Where job. That she, doesn't, she? she doesn't do shit. Come on. Oh, uh, the, <laughs> the bitch has a cough today. <laughs> oh, I'm too sick to do that. <laughs> So anyway, my question <laughs> is, and I think the answer could be that it's a little bit of both perhaps, but is he refereeing the game because he wants to make Gryffindor lose as much as possible? I mean, we see him award several penalties to Hufflepuff very, very quickly. However, is he also there to make sure that Quirrell doesn't do anything again? I think that's why he's there, but I think the, like, 
being a dick to Gryffindor is a bonus for him. Yeah. But we're now seeing so many times where the reader, without... If they are a first-time reader, they instantly are saying, oh, Snape's there to fuck shit up. But, of course, there is that little bait-and-switch of, actually, you don't know the full story, and this is why he's here. So that's why I bring that up. And I'm sure we'll see it much, many more times in this series, because he's playing both sides, you know? And I think in this book it has to be that way. He has to be so suspicious. Yeah. You know, and you see that at the end of the chapter... Malfoy is a terrible bully. (laughs) Like, no one... Okay, so here's the thing. I remember... I think most everyone has had experiences being bullied at that age. I remember whenever I was being bullied or someone was being bullied, like, when I was in sixth grade, I was in when I was 11. People thought they were funny. Like, people were like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And, you know, you've got, like, your group of, of assholes around who just think you're funny. Like... That's not funny. He's not funny. There was He's another joke he made clever. previous, too. He's just like, like, oh, people feel sorry for for Harry and the Weasleys. That's why they're on the Gryffindor team. Because they're poor. Like, being poor isn't a, a funny joke. thing. Like, people don't joke about that. People don't joke about orphans. His saying to Neville, oh, you should be on the team. Oh, you have no brains. Like, still not cool. But it's also, like, that fits more into... A classic bullying thing like Malfoy doesn't even know how to bully people effectively no. you suck Malfoy he said something earlier in another chapter I think it was about oh so-and-so is not going home for Christmas break yeah something like that yeah we and talked about that he tries to make a joke and it doesn't land of course he thinks it's funny because he's a white fucking supremacist you right. know in this situation he's he's not even good at bullying <laughs> uh, well and you had even said like it's not even clever and I'm like good point like you're not even a good Slytherin. Like, Slytherins are known for being kind of clever and ambitious. And you're not even that. You can't be ambitious because you already have everything that you want to, I feel like. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's not quite right. Well, but, I mean, we don't we don't know Malfoy very well, obviously. Yeah. But what we see, obviously we see him through Harry's eyes for the most part. But that observation, even if you don't get Harry his reaction to it you just get his observation of it he's a terrible bully yeah what a little butthead (laughs) he says to ron how long do you think potter will stay on his broom this time he never fell off his broom in the first match you are a terrible bully oh my god you're right he didn't (laughs) just like he's not even paying attention like in order to create good jokes good nasty jokes Malfoy maybe you should pay attention right he didn't like that was the cool thing everyone was really impressed that he didn't fall off his broom yeah and he probably should have like at this point Harry could just be like I did go home for holiday yay (laughs) you just don't pay attention to anything (laughs) except for you do but you don't like he's obsessed with Harry but also he doesn't yeah also like the whole thing too about care packages now that you say that Oh, originally he was like, oh, Harry doesn't get any packages from home. But then he gets the broom. And then later he's like, oh, you have a broom? It's like, you stupid bitch. If you weren't too concerned about watching to see if I got any care packages, you would see. I actually did. And it's the broom. That's a bad Slytherin. He He needs to pay attention more. He'll grow. Oh, Draco. He'll grow a little bit. Kind of going back to the chocolate frog situation. Ooh, we um, know who Enflam is. Yeah, <laughs> Enflam. Enflam. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's how I was writing it in my notes. Not even that long of a name, and I'm just too lazy to write. Just like Enflam. Mick Enflam. <laughs> Swagrid. 
I put Dumby in here at some point? Dumby. I mentioned Dumby as well. <laughs> we haven't actually mentioned Swagger that much. That was something I was going to say in a previous we'll get episode. There. Like when he was wearing his like giant coat that was made out of those voles. How many voles had to die for that giant ass coat? But that's when he's like in his swag raid, you know, in his beautiful luscious wool coat. <laughs> but yeah, we got a lot of nicknames for all these sure bitches. Do. But yes, this is where we finally figure out who Enflam is. Um, <laughs> Nicholas Flamel. Also, <laughs> Harry like reads the frog, the card or whatever, and then Hermione's like, oh, this thing. And they're like, here's my life reading. It's such a cute oh joke. Oh my gosh. He has this giant the ass book. thing. Like, this is great because before we get into some frustrating things about their characters. We see this great stuff. I love this Eureka moment that right. Harry like, has. Like, book title. Like, book title, yay! Oh, yeah! <laughs> oh my gosh, like, hey, this is where I remember seeing it. And we all do the thing like, oh my god, I swear that I've seen or yes. read or whatever this thing. And oh, yeah, this is where it is. I feel like th- when this happened the first time I read the book, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so, you know, because I'm not Harry at that moment. You know, like, Harry's going to... I know I've read it somewhere, and we're like, and as a reader, you're not thinking, "Oh, I wonder where Harry read it." You're just like, "Okay, we'll figure it out." Mm-hmm. And then that happens, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, now I remember it's that." Amazing. It's very cool. It's so funny too that I mean, of course, it was written this way, but <laughs> the whole premise of this book happens so early on in his journey through magical stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he learns about chocolate frogs relatively quick. After realizing he's a wizard. And of course, that is where he discovers what ultimately the whole premise of the action of the book is going to be. Right. It's lovely. And then you're right. um, When Hermione comes out and she's like, oh, yes, I didn't even think to look in this book. Like, first of all, I want to know what the title of that book is. Right. And I want to read it. (laughs) Yes. And the whole light reading thing. And in the movie, it's so good. Except the fact that they leave out the chocolate frog bit is disappointing. (laughs) We'll get there. But (laughs) this whole part where she's just like, oh, honestly, do you even read? And the whole light reading thing. It's it's great. Wonderful. It really is. And I love that. So, like, she reads the history about Nicholas Flamel and Paranel. I think that these books, like, that are on the shelves must magically get updated when there's things like ages, because it says in there, he just celebrated his 665th birthday, and I'm like, so if this book is old, then it had to have been updated because, you know, like, or whatever, or maybe he's way older than that, I don't know, but I like thinking that Nicholas Flamel is, spoiler, um, not going to make it to 666. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> because that would be, a, like, an awful age to die. Yeah. Actually, that's that's, uh, that's great. I just made that weird comment. You know what? I was going to write something about this, too, about it just being like, oh, this book must have just been published. Right. But. Because, but they weren't looking in modern, you know, they're thinking of modern stuff. That's why they weren't looking at it before. Yeah. Because if he's working with Dumbledore, but they're thinking about... Nicholas Fumel wouldn't be some old guy. I like this theory that you have about him not reaching 666 as in his in Yeah, his just, age. I mean, so I like to think that, you know, anytime something like that is published in a magical book, that it's, it, it that it's automatically current. This is canon. I'm it's saying canon. this is canon. I love it. I love it, too. <laughs> so, because I just automatically assumed, okay, it's a new book. But no, obviously it's not. It's this old tome. Right? Yeah. Like, it even it describes it as being kind of this ancient but this book. This giant book. I don't know. I don't even know what the hell's going on in the chapter at this point, but there's like a little paragraph where they're in Defense Against the Dark Arts and they're reading about how to treat werewolf bites. 
But they don't learn about werewolves. They just learn about how to treat werewolf bites. Maybe it's Because they like... wouldn't learn about werewolves because third book. Yeah. I was just... I Spoiler alert. Didn't know if you noticed that. There's werewolves coming out. Yes, werewolves. <laughs> Wonder if it's something like how to... Because if this is, you know, intro to... Maybe it's like how to treat magical... Yeah. Ailments. Dark ailments. Or, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's it. Probably other things like, I don't know, how to avoid a harpy... Or something. <laughs> Maybe that's like a unit. Dark injuries yeah. or something like that. Because in the f- in the third book, again, they focus so much on like dark creatures. Yeah. So maybe that's like part of the unit. I don't know. I, I would like to take that class. Right. And I mean, in the second book, they don't learn anything. That, <laughs> they don't? They learn oh the dark gosh. magic of having a huge ego. Right. That's what they learn about. <laughs> it would be interesting to see how they segment up like the... The syllabi and the curriculum of each of these courses. Right, I'm I'm in for it. I'm like, here for it. We have seen McGonagall starts really small because they were yeah. turning the needles into matchsticks or matchsticks into needles, something like that. And then eventually, it might be the second book is when they turn animals into water goblets with very Veriverto. Yes, yeah. Eventually, obviously, they're getting higher and higher and higher. <laughs> yeah, I literally just want to like learn all of those things. So at the end of the chapter. Harry is like a nosy bitch. Just jumps on his broom and follows Snape. Snape's being suspicious as fuck. You see him like have the little conversation, the little conversation with Quirrell. And then Harry's like, gotta tell my homies yeah, like about this suspicious shit. Like they're like on the high from the game still mm-hmm. from winning the match. And He's like, no, 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 well, this shit. <laughs> yeah. A question that I have about this is why does Snape think... Quirrell wants the Philosopher's Stone. I think Snape definitely suspects that Quirrell is a Voldemort follower. I don't know the like how in-depth that is. I don't think Snape thinks that Quirrell has, spoiler, Voldemort on the back of his head. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Snape recognizes that Quirrell is being suspicious, and I think that he probably caught Quirrell on Halloween, and he's like, what the fuck is this? And, and that's why he has the thing on his leg. Yeah, I think he puts two and two together. Clearly, Quirrell was going after Fluffy mm-hmm. on Halloween, and Snape's like, well, I know what this is about. Quirrell obviously knows what this is about. He shouldn't be going for it. It's supposed to be protected. That's what I'm thinking. It's like Snape was like, I need to check in on this. I don't know. Yeah. We talked about other pieces of evidence, too, like this. Like, of course, there was that little magical moment between Filch and Snape and bandaging the wound up. We also had a big conversation about the troll and why even put the troll in, even though that's what Quirrell's good at. It seemed like a weird thing. Maybe a clue. So, like, we're getting suspicious as readers without even knowing the full backstory of Mm -hmm. them. So, obviously, Snape is going to as well. Yeah. Like, even though Snape has a lot of questionable morals and does a lot of things that aren't great for a teacher to do, he's still smart, you know? He still is Snape is very weird. smart. Also, huge spoilers, like, Snape is primed for suspicious things. Yeah. You know, he is at Hogwarts because of his role as a double agent. That's why he's there. And even though it's believed that Voldemort is gone, Snape is primed. I don't... He's a super smart guy, like you said. So... I wonder if he can even sense something without all of this additional evidence. Like... I wonder uh, if there's, like, a connection with their dark marks. Yeah. Because in the fourth book, they're all, like, you know, he says to Dumbledore, Karkaroff is getting darker, too, and all of that. There's got to be some kind of connection there. 
Quarles also may be a suspicious dude, too. Like, yeah. we're just not seeing it because we're seeing it again through Harry. So we're seeing the super suspicious Snape part and Quirrell's playing his part really, really innocently. He's not a suspicious type of character. He's just a nervous piece of shit sometimes, you know? Yeah. There's that one point where Quirrell is just popping up a lot more, and the reader is going to be noticing this. Like, okay, wait, why is this guy all of a sudden popping in more and more? I wonder what's going to happen with him. Because they don't talk about Sprout or Flitwick or Professor Sinestra. When they do the troll moment, it's... Snape and McGonagall and Quirrell. Yeah. You know, like, they're giving Quirrell all this time on the page versus two other heads of houses Mm -hmm. that are super important. If you're really being suspicious and attentive, I guess you can get there. Yeah. Obviously, like, we've we've already read it, so we know how it goes. Yeah. But... It's funny, you said something at the beginning of this conversation. You said Snape is being suspicious, and that's double meaning. He's being suspicious in the eyes of Harry, mm-hmm. but he's also suspicious of Quirrell. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, but so he's being suspicious to us, too. Like, on the page, you you know, like, mm-hmm. because, again, we are seeing it through Harry. But, yeah, that's what But say. the way he is displaying his, you know, like, throwing a fit at the Quidditch match when Gryffindor wins, like, he is still displaying very suspicious yeah. behavior anyway. It goes back to my question about him refereeing the game. That, okay, what is his motive here? Is he being the good guy or is he being the dick? And it being both, and in order to make all of this mystery work, he has to be both a dick and the good guy. Yeah, absolutely. That's his whole arc. Yeah. You know? It's it's pretty cool. The horrible feeling that Snape could read minds. I like that too. That's also foreshadowing new readers of the book. (laughs) I I almost wrote something down about that and I was like, well, we'll get there if we need to. So as the chapter ends, I do love the little exchange as our little sleuths are discussing this and Hermione's like, so you mean the stone's only safe as long as Quirrell stands up to Snape? And then Ron's like, it'll be gone by next Tuesday. Yeah. It's so funny. It's so dramatic. I'm like, uh, yeah. Ron is Ron is great. It's a, it's a good Ron moment. I also just think it's funny, like, this is the only way that the stone will be safe if Quirrell is still here. That's we, how they're, that's how they're right. thinking. It's very cute. Because eventually it's, okay, we're safe if Dumbledore is here. We're safe if McGonagall is here. It's like they have this different viewpoint of Quirrell and it's like oh my gosh you guys have so much more left to learn which is great right yeah so I'm ready for the movie talk yes (laughs) me too very similar to Midnight Midnight Duel Duel. this chapter isn't in the movie (laughs) no I mean there is that great little little thing the whole thing with uh, Hermione in the book that's great, yes. but you don't get Harry making that discovery, which you had mentioned earlier, which I think is really kind of a loss. Yeah. That you don't get Harry being the one who's like, I've seen this name yeah. before. I know it's just Hermione being like, oh, by the way, I knew this. But I get it. Doesn't take away from the story. What I miss the most is the interaction with Neville. I miss Neville yeah. so much. Those two things, I think, are the big, like the Quidditch, extra Quidditch game man. Oh, I would have liked to see Alan Rickman on a broom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's nice I would have well. loved to see that because it would have been really funny. <laughs> because because I just think the idea of Snape refereeing Quidditch is funny. And Alan Rickman, on any, any more screen time he can get, great. <laughs> but, like, that would have been just really funny. Be like, oh, here's the second Quidditch match. 
Cedric would have been in that because he's the seeker. Oh yeah, that's right. But you know they don't know that yet. So yeah, I agree. I think the omission of the chocolate frog thing is definitely a loss. I mentioned earlier in this episode how you know Hermione is the book smart one. We start to see okay, here's something that Ron can actually do correctly. Mm -hmm. Harry is constantly like learning and coming into his own. But this is a nice little moment that I think really shows Harry has some smarts too. Harry is able to to think about this and he's not just doing this blindly he's able to solve the mystery i agree with that the movie plays into harry's innocence even more than the book does Mm -hmm. and this is just more on that which is it's fine again the story is being told effectively they do do the snape quarrel face off in the in but it's in it's in mirror of said time like when harry's coming back from seeing the mirror of said yeah at least they get that, so we get to have that, ooh, suspiciousness moment. But. Yeah. And as far as the Neville thing goes, that is a big loss, too, because... Such a big loss. Again, my catchphrase. We have talked about this before, but there's so much Neville missing in the movie. Mm-hmm. And the big part that you really remember Neville for in the movie, I think, other than the whole Trevor thing at the beginning mm-hmm. of the, is when he stands up to them in a couple chapters. Yeah. And it would be more effective yeah. if this scene happened. It's kind of out of the blue in the movie because you don't have as much of this character building for him. And I think that's a big loss. Like I said, the game, who cares? But the game, yeah. I think, is there for this building of mm-hmm. Neville it is. It's absolutely here for that building. I, I agree. And that's a shame because we talked also previously about how, you know, if all of the movies were done when all of the books were completed, the first movie would be very different. I think would have more of the snubbel stuff, but this is no excuse. They just cut something that is, I think, consequential to something that happens later. And it's such an endearing scene in the book that wouldn't have taken very long You know, Neville is one of the first characters we meet because you hear about him on the train when Hermione comes in. I'm talking about the movie and she's like, a boy called Neville's lost a toad. In the book, you know, you meet Neville on the train, but you do get to meet Neville pretty early on in the movie too. Like before you establish any other Gryffindors, they did that. Like they made sure that they got that in to establish like Neville's bumblingness. But that would have just been a really lovely scene. One, because we could have established the the Nicholas Flamel thing via Chocolate Frog mm-hmm. with giving Harry credit for like one of the smart things he does because Harry is not as smart as Hermione. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, it's his journey. So I appreciate every time that Hermione is highlighted because she's brilliant, but it's Harry's journey. Yeah. And the thing with Neville is just, yeah. uh, and it shows who Harry is too. Like Harry and Ron and Hermione, like showing the three of them as people who do good things for people who are not being treated properly is very important. That's where they come from. That's their personalities. It gives Ron a leg up because Ron basically gets treated like he's the worst piece of shit a lot of times in the movies. And he's encouraging Neville. Neville doesn't see it that way because Neville's like just in such a sad low place because Malfoy's a piece of shit. Yeah. But... I really would have loved that yeah. scene. This brings up two other <clears throat> nice things about it in the book as well. And that is what you just said. Ron just lost the last chapter. And so this is a little bit of showing that other <clears throat> side of like, yes, he does have this empathetic side to Ron's it. Ron's a good guy. Yeah. And then also Hermione being like, oh yeah, I have this book. It's probably in here. It shows a little bit of an imperfection to Hermione too. Because Obviously, I love Hermione. We both do. And she's extremely smart, but 
she probably could have come to that conclusion by herself. And she does in the movie, but I agree, it's Harry's story, and it's better when the chocolate frog comes up. I also just like the reintroduction of chocolate frogs and all these little magical elements. Yeah, because we don't see the more. chocolate frogs ever again in the movies until the epilogue. Yeah, Like, yeah. you don't see a chocolate frog again. And then they're not really important, but they're they're fun. Yeah. I think in that one episode where they get introduced, we talk about, like, oh, my God, I want to see all the other cards that are available on yes, here. Yes, I do. And, like, Still it's do. funny because he's like, oh, my God, I have so many of Dumbledore. Oh, yeah. I don't write movie scripts, so I try not to be too terribly critical because there's a lot of criticism coming in the Tara future. Tara only writes play scripts. Yeah. She's a I don't write plays. <laughs> I don't write movie scripts. I don't write shit, guys. <laughs> I write chapter outlines for Adam Terrain at the end. Of course, it was hard to, like, really judge um, The Midnight Duel, but for this one, I feel like the movie gets, like, a C. It's still effective, it's still good, it gets the point across and moves the story along, but I think that these two things were would have been easy things to put in the Yes, movie. I think I think the way that, that Nicholas Flamel is covered and obviously all the stuff with Neville, we don't need to have the Quidditch match, fine, but we can still have that moment. It also helps establish the kind of person who Malfoy is. Yeah. You know... I'm beating a dead horse there. (laughs) Yeah. And I just, I always want more Neville because his story is so important. Yeah. We're only 14 chapters in to this huge story. Like, this is where some of these characters need to be explained some more. Yeah. And yes, we have a good idea of what Malfoy is like, but this even adds some more that, yeah, he's a bully, but he's not even a good bully. Like, (laughs) so. He gets better at that, unfortunately, but so that's... That's the end of my commentary on the movie. You ready to get into my points? Yeah, go for it. I am going to give 20 points to Harry for the Flamel uh, realization off of the card. I really love that. And for winning the match so fucking fast. If I were doing winners and losers, he really does like win the chapter. Overall, so he gets 20 points. 15 points to Hermione for the book thing of finding the book. And the whole, oh, don't you guys read? I don't know. I like all of that. But also for being like, we're going to go prepare to fight Snape. Which we didn't really talk too much. You mentioned it in your summary, but... I just, I like that. Like, oh, we're going to fight this teacher and use locomotor legs on him. It's cute. Because they just learned it. It's super cute. I just love it. So 15 points to Hermione. Five each to Ron and Neville for beating up the bullies or trying to in Neville's case. I love all of that. And negative 30 to Draco for being a butthole. And that's everything. So that wraps up this episode. Yeah, we are done. We are moving into the next chapter. The next episode, which is chapter 14. Norbert, Norbert the, the Norwegian, Norwegian Ridgeback. Oh my god, Ooh, what Norbert. could that be about? I wonder. What's a Norwegian Ridgeback? Probably Hagrid's cousin. <laughs> he got a he got a spiny back. I don't know. <laughs> Until next time, <laughs> friends. Bye. Bye. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery, edited by Adam Bowers, and published by Tara Corkery via Podbean, and is now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to our podcast, and we hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars and leave us a review on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then I'm sorry you're so angry. 
please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more messages from our fans and want to hear your perspectives and answers to questions we ask in the podcast. Catch you later, snitches!